This is Bishop Michael Curry, and you're listening to The Way of Love. In this episode, we're talking about the practice we call go. Cross boundaries, listen deeply, and live like Jesus. May the way open before you. May you see beyond darkness and light to the love you are, to the love you bring into the world. Welcome back to The Way of Love, a podcast from the Episcopal Church about following Jesus and changing the world. I'm Kyle Oliver, and I'm here with Sandy Millian for our final episode of season one. Yes, I can't believe we've made it this far. We've covered turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, and rest. That means it's time to talk about go. Yes, indeed. As you heard at the top, our definition of go is partly related to this idea of living like Jesus. And it will surprise no one to say that we think that that idea is a little bit easier said than done sometimes. That's true. So we're really glad that Bishop Curry started with an inspiring, but also really accessible example to show us and explain to us what GOAT means. You know, I can, I can, think, of, I can think of so many people that I've known over the years that I've been a priest who embodied that. I mean, much better than I ever did. I, I remember a woman in one of my parishes. Yeah, she was retired by the time I knew her. She um, she lived in the neighborhood of the church, which was an inner city neighborhood. And she just started feeding kids breakfast on Sunday morning and bringing them to church. Wow. It led to some real transformation in that church because more and more kids started coming and well, all of a sudden we had a Sunday school that was like growing like crazy. I mean, it was it was like amazing from from this one woman who in this in a in a pretty desperately poor area of the city. I mean, really tough. You know, we ended up having creating an after school program and I mean summer camps. I mean, we had to do it because it, it, we were getting called into it, not because yeah. we thought about it. We didn't have a committee to plan it ahead of time. But it was because of this one woman who had a heart for children. I don't know that there was a conscious, I'm going to be a Christian and bring. I don't think it was like that. Mm-hmm. I just think she came to church. Yeah. She knew there was something God, something about God in this place and it's good and you live a godly life and got mm-hmm. something to do with Jesus. And you know, so, I mean, it's just practical. This is this real Christian, practical yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And she said, children in this neighborhood need that um, because it wasn't a, a big inner city neighborhood. And and at that time, I mean, I was beginning to realize it may have been the first time in the history post-slavery that we're actually a generation of kids in the African-American community are actually growing up outside of the womb of the church. Mm-hmm. Now, she wasn't thinking about all that. Yeah, <laughs> so she yeah, was dealing yeah. with the kids who were right there. Yeah. But that is the context of what was going on. And so, you know, after school programs, um, you know, we said Martin Luther King uh, day camp. And I mean, it got sometimes we kind of overdid it with kids in Sunday school and that kind of stuff. You'd ask them a question. And I remember one time one kid said, well, the answer is either Jesus or Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> but that happened because of one woman, yeah, yeah. one person who just had something in her heart for children. Yeah and knew that the church was the right place for children to be. And that changed the church. I saw it. (laughs) I mean, I just happened to be the priest there. I saw it. And just a side note, but I remember of some um, nuns when I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, who were always, 
if somebody was down and out, they were on top of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I used to joke. I said, you guys never found a, never found a cause or a hardship that you wouldn't jump on and, and, and lead. They said, no, that's what we do. That's following Jesus. Yeah. You know, I mean, I bet there are people that they're all over. They're all over the place. A woman, and this was in a, another church. I was, I was a bishop, actually, in a little little town in uh, Hall River, North Carolina. I don't remember how she or how found out, but she found out that, you know how kids, you know, your mother would bring uh, cupcakes or something on your birthday mm-hmm. or something, you know, when you're in the third grade, that kind of stuff. And somehow she found out about that and realized that that kids in the fo- that wasn't happening consistently for kids in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. And this is a small enough county that you could do it. And so she just decided she was going to start baking. So uh, no kid would not have um, a little something to honor their birth into this world in the third or fourth grade, whatever it was. You know, next thing we knew, the folk in the church were like doing it and they got the supermarket to like make sure there's flour and all the stuff that the eggs and the flour at the supermarket donated. Next thing, this is like going on all over the particular county where they were. And it went on for years. I don't know if it's still going on, but it went on for years. Just something simple. Somebody did, because it's the right thing to do. And and I know she was, a, I mean, this was a Christian person. And it wasn't by highfalutin sociology. Inside, she knew this looks like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Feeding. Feeding. Caring. Yes. It's it's the gut response to grace. Hmm. That's what's going on. And man, I'm telling you, that's all over the... I, I see, I, even now, actually. I've talked to public officials who are struggling with how to live a life consistent with their faith. And that's right. What they really mean, to get more specific, a life in the public sphere that is consistent with what Jesus teaches. Hmm. That's where the rubber meets the road. What do you, um, what do you tell them? But don't stop struggling. Mm. <laughs> this is this is not therapy to ease your anxiety. Actually, the anxiety and the struggle is how you'll figure out how to navigate with integrity. Where has the practice go taken you in the past? How did it teach you to live like Jesus? So we're forming, we're forming these habits, but it's not like we're turning ourselves into robots of, you know, if this, then that, where no. it's clear. Like, yeah. we've got the habits, but the habits are the starting point right. for engaging with the struggle and engaging with the question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exact. Yeah, I think the, the formulaic approach, the notion that if I do X, I read this passage, then I put this passage, I implement this passage, what this passage <laughs> said, um, and then that's the result or something. That's not real. What you really want is living in Scripture enough that Scripture becomes part of you. And so you begin to see and engage the world out of a biblical way of thinking or a way of being, which which is getting closer to, to living the habit of grace as opposed to trying to be lockstep and mechanical about if X, then Y. 
Because the truth is, there are a lot of things that happen where there aren't yes and no, good and bad. Yeah. Including like, in the scriptures. Including in the yeah. scriptures. Yeah. yeah. It's not all black and white. There's a lot of gray. And the more gray hair you have on your head, the more gray you see. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's, but that's life. That's the nature. And so if, if you try to have a mechanical view rather than a formational one, rather than one where you're letting the scriptures Form you and shape you over time, which is a way of letting Jesus of Nazareth, letting Jesus form you. Um, at St. Paul in one of the epistles says, let, let Christ be formed in you. Mm. Then you, um, in those ambiguous contexts, where it's not clear what's right or wrong, you've got the best shot of discerning the best way possible. Mm-hmm. What is the greatest approximation of love that is possible in this context? And then how can I do it? Yeah. Well, that's a a great segue into my last question, which um, is that sometimes when we go, (laughs) we're going to go and find people who we disagree with, people from different backgrounds, people from different churches, people who don't go to church. And and we're experiencing that right now, um, I think, in a really profound way in in this country and mm-hmm. and you know between countries and yeah so when when we tell people go mm. what's next um how how can we how can we prepare them to go in a way that can help to reach that greatest approximation and uh, it's the end of in matthew's gospel it's in the matthew mark and luke but but in matthew's gospel in particular at the end, after the crucifixion, after Jesus had been killed, and then he rises from the dead, the resurrection, the women, Mary Magdalene and the other the other women, you know, go to the tomb looking for him, and they get to the tomb, and the tomb is empty. And and in Matthew's version, and there's similarities in some of the other Gospels, but in Matthew's version in particular, there's an angel in the tomb, or somebody's in the tomb. It's not Jesus. There's somebody there, and a messenger. An angel says to uh, Mary Magdalene in Matthew's version, you know, why do you seek the living among the dead? And the angel says, uh, he is not here. He is risen, as he said. And then there's an additional thing. He has gone ahead of you to Galilee. If you look at the resurrection stories, the stories of Jesus rising from the dead, he never stays in place. He's always going ahead of them. They can't, you know, Mary Magdalene tries to grab hold. He says, no, don't hold me. Don't grab onto me, sister. You can't, don't cling to me. Follow me. But don't cling to me. You know, in the upper room in Luke's version of it, where they're in the upper room and he breaks the bread and they realize, oh my God, this is Jesus all along. And then it says he vanishes out of their sight. (laughs) I think what's going on is not a magic show. This isn't Houdini. I think what's going on is the Bible's trying to tell us that this risen living Christ is a living, is the living reality of God in our midst. And that reality goes ahead of us. So when you go... (laughs) Go to follow where he has already gone, where the living presence of Jesus Christ, of God, um, can be found. And to go and to seek the living presence of Jesus in you and how God is in you. And I, I, I mean, I don't pretend that I do that all the time. I don't know what to do. I mean, yeah, I mean but, but at least to be heading in that direction. Yeah. Um, and doing it some of the time yeah. is potentially transformative. I remember I read the book by Martin Buber's book, I and Thou. I don't remember a whole lot. I mean, it's been a long time. But but what I do remember was he talked about the difference between I-Thou relationships and I-It relationships. An I-It relationship is where I relate to you as it, 
as a thing, as an object. And he said all sorts of horrible things become possible when you were just an object or something for me to deal with. But when an I-thou relationship, when you are thou, when there is sacredness about you and dwelling in you, then I respond to that sacredness in you. And every once in a while, you respond to it in me. And when that happens, relationship moves beyond just mere human relationships. And two or three have gathered together. And God shows up. That's what it really means to go. Well, we're back. And as we come to the end of season one, we realized that, uh, you know, we ask you a reflection question each week, but eh, most of the time we don't really answer it ourselves. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going to we're gonna rectify that this time around. Sandy, you want to go first? Do you have a go story for us? Yes, yes. Um, when uh, thinking about the reflection question, it reminded me of when I was younger, um, a little girl, and we were in a brand new congregation. Well, my dad was sent out to begin a new ministry in an area where there were no Episcopal churches. Um, it was in a rural area with people who were in the working poor class uh, socioeconomically. But the bishop saw that the that area needed uh, a new mission, needed a church, and there was a great opportunity for a young priest like my dad <laughs> to go there and my dad decided to go with his family. And I remember that most Saturdays, I think, if not every single Saturday, we will have a worship service in the house of someone in the community. We would walk sometimes a little more than a mile to go to those houses. It was a very rural area. There was no accessibility for cars to go through. Um, and I remember being maybe I don't know, five or six, seven, younger than that even. And every single Saturday, we will have to go to someone's house and I'll be so upset. I'll be thinking, uh, I don't want to go. I <laughs> want to stay home or I want to go play with my friends. But it reminded me of something that I've heard my dad preach about a lot and that our mission is to go, is to share and to be witnesses of the truth. Because that is, you know, the job Jesus left us to do, to follow and to preach the gospel. And the message of the gospel is to literally go. The church can be and shouldn't be static. It has to move. It has to go. And it has. It can't just be a Sunday thing. Mm. As those that are called to be the messengers of Jesus, they have to go and go where the people need it the most. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to literally walk miles and go to places you don't want to go, places you feel uncomfortable. And, and maybe someday I will do the same, you know, Yeah. take that challenge and, and go and get over my fear and walk miles to, 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 to create community with people. Hmm. Well, my go story, I was laughing. Uh, you started <laughs> yours. I didn't want to go <laughs> and I didn't either. My go story was a couple of years back, my wife and I had been living in the Bronx for a year or two in New York City. It was sort of the halfway point between where she was working and where I was working. Mm -hmm. And I got called for a month long term of grand jury service. Wow. Because in the state of New York, before a case can go to trial, it has to be seen by grand jury, mm -hmm. which was news to me. Apparently it's not news to anybody who's watched Law and Order. But uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in this in this room full of people realizing, oh, my gosh, like 
most of us sitting here are gonna are gonna have to do this. I was in my second year of graduate school. I had a job in a church, but getting to spend a month with other people from my community was was really powerful. I, it made me realize that we don't often go into these situations where you go from not knowing someone to spending. 40 hours a week with them for a month <laughs> in a tiny little room. And for me, the, the part of go that is about listening uh, really stuck out in, in this story for me. There was lots of opportunities during grand jury service to listen because um, a lot of what we did was waiting for the next set of witnesses for the next case to, uh, to come in. We saw like 40 cases over the course of four weeks. Wow. So we just had a lot of conversations and I I got to know a lot of folks that I wouldn't have gotten to know any other, probably any other way and got to know them pretty well because I spent, I spent a lot of time with them. Do you think it influenced or did it help or anything in your ministry over there? I think one of the things I, I learned was about how people experience upheaval mm -hmm. in their lives in faith communities one of the most powerful experiences we have is, you know, accompanying people who are going through an experience of upheaval, mm. a divorce, an unexpected illness, a loss, and then also to be with others in the midst of that. I mean, it's just there's, there's a real close community that forms when you're going through that experience together with people. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, it's changed how I look at situations of people around me who uh, who have had a, a major transition sort of thrust upon them. Mm. So wrapping up our conversation about the practice of going and thinking about the overall picture of this podcast, does anything uh, jump out at you or come to mind as we wrap up? The thing that's always with me, partly because I edit these and, and because the last thing we hear is Bishop Curry saying the way of Jesus is the way of love. I've really appreciated the challenge in these conversations, sometimes out loud and sometimes just for my own kind of further reflection, the challenge to really think carefully about the life and teachings of Jesus as being the kind of core of, of all of our spiritual practices. I don't necessarily default to Jesus language. I tend to use sort of God and Holy Spirit language mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So re-envisioning my spiritual practices as this reflection on and participation in the ministry of Jesus in a way, that's been powerful to me and something that I'll, I'm definitely going to keep chewing on as we head into season two. Yeah. How about you, Sandy? Well, for me, um, doing this podcast and um, sharing our stories and sharing my stories has led me to actually, you know, reflect on, on my life and think about these seven practices and practicing them more intentionally throughout my day, helping them to build better relationships with the people in my inner circle and even with the greater community. Um, and I think these seven practices are spot on to help us live a better life. Uh, as we record this, you are literally about to go in a very big way. Tell us about where you're going. <laughs> yes, as we're wrapping up, I am going. I am being sent or I've been called to a new ministry that has to do a lot about building a community and creating ways for people to engage with each other. 
And the, this one, I wanted to go. Not like my story, <laughs> I wasn't forced to go. <laughs> cool. By the time this plays, you'll have been in it a while and uh, oh. we'll, be, we'll be talking about uh, some new stories. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for joining us for this first season of The Way of Love. The episode was produced by Kyle Oliver and me, Sandy Milien, and edited by Kyle. Special thanks to Ana Hernandez for providing our theme and reflection music. Check out her website at anahernandez.org. This week we had additional music from Josh Woodward. His Lafayette is published under a Creative Commons attribution license at freemusicarchive.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we hope that you will, so that you'll know when we come back from our short break. While you're away, we'd especially love it if you rate and review it or share it with a friend, which uh, will help us to reach more people as season two approaches. If you'd like to contribute music, a prayer, or feedback, write us at wayoflove@episcopalchurch.org. This is Patricia Lyons from Alexandria, Virginia. Just as Jesus went to the highways and byways, he sends us beyond our circles and comfort to witness to his love, justice, and truth with our lips and with our lives. Lord, help us as we go to listen with humility and to bring your healing to a hurting world and be present to us, dear Lord, as we work to live into our identity as the beloved community a people reconciled in love with you and one another. Amen. The way of Jesus is the way of love, and the way of love can change the world.